With all due respect to Carson Palmer and his USC ties, Heisman Trophy winner Carson Palmer, from a former number one overall pick by the Bengals, Carson Palmer. With all due respect to USC and, and the Trojan tradition, you're barking up the wrong tree. Y'all, y'all ain't getting Mike Tomlin. There would have to be a level of dysfunction hitherto undreamt of in Pittsburgh hitherto, under the Ruiz. <laughs> did you did you seriously just say hitherto undreamt of? You're Mike Tomlin. You're not even 50. Los Angeles calls. The USC program is one of the great programs in the history of college football. You can go out there. You can make your mark. You can be in a different part of the country. You're going to be well paid. I -hmm. could see it. I've been with the Steelers for 15 years. I've been to two Super Bowls, got a championship. Next chapter of my life. I can see it. Yeah, about that. Uh, before we get to today's yeah, news, that. let's go ahead and put yes. something to bed quick, fast, and in a hurry. So, again, in case you missed it, yesterday on the Dan Patrick Show, USC alum Carson Palmer referred to Mike Tomlin as a potential wild card in the wild USC card. head coaching search. Mike Tomlin today took the big joker, put it on his forehead, and then slammed it on the table at his press conference. Hey, guys, I don't have time for that speculation. I mean, that's a joke to me. Um, I got one of the best jobs in in all of professional sport. Why would I have any interest in coaching college football? Um, That'll be the last time that I address it. And not only today, but moving forward. Never say never, but never. Okay? Anybody else got any questions about any college jobs? There's not a booster with a big enough blank check. Anyone else? All right. Thank you. Anybody asking Sean Payton about that? You know, anybody asking Andy Reid about stuff like that? You know, one thing about Mike T, uh, he is never not clear. Uh, Let me also say, Thank you, Carson Palmer. And oh, I mean right. that sincerely. Oh, thank you, Carson Ooh. Palmer, for the free contribution to the news cycle. Clearly, there's nothing to this, but thank you for giving us something to talk about for the last 24 hours. That was fun while it lasted. So, Michael, Mike Tomlin today sounds a lot like Michael Smith yesterday when it comes to Mike Tomlin and the potential for him going to the college game. So I'm going to go ahead and and listen to you react to Mike Tomlin telling you out of his own mouth what I tried to tell you out of my mouth, which was that was a ridiculous idea in the first place that he he would leave of all teams, the Pittsburgh Steelers, to go to the college game that he never had to coach on that level in the first place. Hold on. No, 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 wait. Floor's yours. No, 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 stay right here. Stay close. Stay close. Stay close. No, no, no. I don't want to. I'm not going nowhere. to be mine. Where do you want to take it? No, I want to have a dialogue on this because. Bruh, that took a turn. That took a turn that I didn't expect. I know exactly why I did. You know, you know, and I know what he was saying there. Yes. And I didn't think his name coming up was some suggestion that he was an amateur not worthy of the throne that he currently no. sits on. Mm-mm. No, is that, is that how you interpret oh, that? Oh. No. Is anybody asking Andy Reid about this? Is anybody asking Sean Payton about this? In other words, 
I'm a pro coach. Why are you asking me about a step down? Why are you asking me about a step down as opposed to these other guys? Like, why, why, why do you think he mentioned their names? Oh, I'm, I'm, it's I'm, obvious I'm, to I'm, me. I'm taking it back. I'm bl- oh, it's obvious what, what, to what, me. What, and the obvious is what? Which is what? This is the continue. This is the continued plight of the black coach in the NFL. Even a Super Bowl wow. winning coach in the NFL. No, here because because <laughs> this is why he's insulted. This is why he's insulted. Mike Tomlin has won as many but Super Bowls as Andy Reid and I, Sean I gotta Payton be honest, last I, time I, I didn't checked. See- I didn't see I'm not it at first. That coverage. I'm I not reading that coverage. I didn't see it at first. I missed it. Because you, because, okay, let's go back to yesterday when it first happened. It happened not long before our show, okay? It goes Patrick, Eisen, brother from another on Peacock, all right? So right. when you and I talked, it went into a disagreement between me and you about the viability of Mike Tomlin going to USC. So we never got a chance to go beneath the surface. It was just about whether or not it made sense, right? And the the uh, the black coach aspect of it later came up with Charles just talking about how hard it is for a black right. coach to reach the head coaching level in the NFL, let alone his level of, of sustained yeah. success and security. So there's that. But then when I was thinking about it last night, and Mike Thomas spoke to it today, and this is why he's spot on and was understood need not be spoken. The reason why he said, why isn't anybody asking Andy Reid about this? Why isn't anybody asking Sean Payton about this? Is because nobody would because USC doesn't need a token white guy in its hiring process. What this is is USC using Mike Tomlin's name, using Mike Tomlin's name to suggest that they're running a far reaching, uh, you know, diverse pool of candidate process. Okay. And so knowing good and damn well, Mike Tomlin ain't going to USC. Hey, let's throw Mike Thomas name out there. Let's throw Let's have Mike Thomas name in the mix as somebody that would be worthy of this USC position. And then once we hire who we want to hire in the first place, we could always say we were interested in Mike Tomlin. That's what he's talking about. Like nobody would dare suggest that a white coach of, of, of Mike Tomlin's stature. Give me a white coach with Mike Tomlin's record, with Mike Tomlin's resume, with Mike Tomlin's standing. Ain't nobody gonna suggest they go back to college. Ain't no college job big enough for Sean Payton to entertain. Ain't no college job big enough for Andy Reid to entertain right now. That was my point yesterday. This job is beneath right, Mike Tomlin. Right. It is beneath him to suggest that he would go back to college. So why is he subjected to these kinds of questions and no other elite head coach in the NFL? The only coach that's been that's been t- uh, tagged with college speculation this season is Urban Meyer because Urban Meyer's got one win in his first year and it seems like he's over his head. And he's a college coach. Mike, this is beneath, this is and insulting to Mike right. Tomlin. And that's why he responded right. that way because it is insulting to suggest that he would leave the Steelers willingly to go to college. I'm glad. Listen, why him? I'm glad I heard him. Well, hold on. I'm gonna tell you why him. I'm gonna tell you why him. But before I tell you why him, I'm gonna say I'm glad I heard Mike Tomlin respond that way, because I had no idea that that was beneath the surface. I didn't know. I didn't know that he would take it. That's like no that. wait. Now, wait, Mike, you I'm know. not saying that as fact. Let's, wait, Mike. Mike, I'm not saying that as fact. That's my interpretation of oh, the situation. Oh no, no, I'm not talking about yours. I'm not talking about your your analysis. I'm talking about okay. just what I heard from Mike Tomlin with no analysis at all. With knowing that just his commentary and his his clear anger and frustration with the question. Mm-hmm. 
Mike, you know how you know how I feel about Mike Tomlin. You know how I feel about the Pittsburgh Steelers and the tradition. You know, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. I love it. I love it. I eat it up. Uh, and I, I love how they have had three coaches in my lifetime, three head coaches uh, since 1969. That's just incredible. But Mike, Bill Walsh went back to college. Bill Walsh, yeah, Hall of Famer. After he left, he called. He, wait, but wait, no, wait. No, that's a bad, yeah, after bad he one. Left, bad he one. Left, try again. But he went try back. Again. What, what, after what, what, he what, left the 49ers. After he left the yeah, 49ers, he, left the, he stepped aside after yeah, 1988. He left the 49ers. George Seifert took over in 1989, he and he later went back to Stanford, he where he started. He was never asked. Uh, he didn't go to Stanford immediately. He was never asked about going to take a college job when he was coaching in his heyday with the 49ers. Give me another one. I would say this. I, 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 I can't give you another one, but I'm just going to tell you this. I'm not saying I'm not saying there are tons of examples of guys who have gone from the pros to college football. But if I were in a relation, if this were a relationship, I would say, ooh, <clears throat> I won't make that mistake again. I didn't know. I didn't know that you felt that deeply about it. I, oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. I wasn't trying to. I wasn't trying to. And intentions, maybe intentions so are, don't factor are, are into USC, this. I wasn't trying to are, insult are you. you are you USC in this analogy? Are you are you coming from USC's perspective? Okay. So. so it's basically like you hit on somebody like, wait, I'm married. I'm USC. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't see the ring on your finger. That type of thing. And, 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 right. Ooh. Oh, exactly. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because let me tell you okay. what, Mike, if I'm, if I'm USC, why wouldn't I ask Andy? I don't want Andy Reid. Andy Reid doesn't do it for us. Andy Reid in his 60s. He's he not the kind of guy we're looking for. Sean Payton is almost 10 years older than you. I'm not looking for Sean Payton. I'm looking for somebody like you, who's not even 50 years old, who's accomplished, who's got a lot of football coaching and inspiring and leading ahead of him. And we're, we think we're a pretty great program. We're not saying we're the Pittsburgh Steelers, but we're in a different part of the country. It's a different challenge. We thought maybe... You might want to hear what we have to say. We meant no ill will. I'm sorry. We we know you're oh, going to the Hall okay. of Fame one day. Sorry, okay. Mike. You didn't, I'm sorry. Okay, so okay, fine, USC. You didn't mean any harm. And you Ooh. know what? As I slide away from the bar. As I slide away from the bar. You shot your shot. As I slide away from the bar. You shot for the moon and you hope to land on a star. You're aiming high. Oh, great. Man. You're aiming high. Okay. I guess I can understand yeah. it. But from Mike Tomlin's perspective, it's disrespectful and it's insulting to suggest that he would go back to college. Even if even in Los Angeles, even a college, even a program as storied as USC. Why would Mike Tomlin leave the hey, Pittsburgh just, Steelers? Just, it's one thing to leave a sinking just, ship. It's one thing Bro. to leave an organization when you're on the hot seat. Okay, Bobby Petrino, how about that? Or Urban Meyer this year. Yeah. But Bobby Petrino, how's right. uh, out of Atlanta? Dudes, those, no, those dudes what? don't belong. 
They don't belong in this conversation. Exactly. They don't belong in this exactly. conversation. Exactly. No, but, they but, do but, belong in this conversation but, 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 because that's, that's the guy, why. if you're a college program, you target somebody that is gettable. Mike Tomlin ain't in your league. He ain't in the ballpark. He ain't in the same sport for all intents and purposes. That's why it's disrespectful. And again, why Mike Tomlin? He is a Super Bowl winning coach with job security like no other right. coach in the NFL, given the history of the organization. So no matter how highly you right. think of yourself okay no matter how highly you think of yourself USC and your tradition you are not going to get a coach to caliber of Mike Tomlin Ooh. now again beneath the surface Ooh, just... why was Mike Tomlin the target they know they're not getting Mike Tomlin but the interest in Mike Tomlin takes them off the hook is what I'm saying that's what I'm saying they ain't it off takes the hook. them off the hook they ain't off the hook if, if that's for a lot of people it, it will well Maybe not for me, You're playing maybe not for bad. you, but for a lot of people, it will. We're like, oh, well, we're interested in Mike Tomlin. He passed on the job. He didn't no, want no, it. No, no, no. I we're, want interested you know, we're, in We're enlightened. We're progressive. We're no, 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 no. You're progressive when you actually do that thing. Now, now, you know, none of that walk down the aisle. I'm telling you how they with, think. Came Mike, close. I'm, t I'm not telling you okay. how you should interpret it. I'm telling you how they think. And what I'm telling you is okay, no other fine. Super Bowl winning coach has ever been asked Tell me the last Super Bowl winning coach in the middle of the season that has ever been asked, would you go coach a college program? Tell me the last time that happened. It's disrespectful. It's insulting. I can't think of it. Okay, but let me tell you. Going this. to college is they a probably, fallback plan. That's when you ain't got no other options. You know who's interested in USC? You know who's interested in USC? Eric Bieniemy, Because the NFL, for some strange reason, won't give him a head coaching opportunity. That's who's interested in USC. Right. When you have to prove yourself right. in order to get to the next level. That's not Mike Tomlin. He is not in their league, let alone their conference. So it was always okay. silly. But after further uh, processing of it last night and, and, and consideration of it, I can see why Mike Tomlin would find it insulting. And in his words, a joke. And yes, why aren't you asking Sean Payton? Okay. Why aren't you asking Andy Reid? Right. Ask another coach who's been coaching for as long as I have, that has won as many games as I have, and, and, and has as many Super Bowls as I have, which is one. Ask those same coaches if they're interested in USC, and then, and then Mike Thomas got no reason to be insulted. But those coaches okay, ain't been listen, asked. Listen, I understand. They're not the wild card. Mike Tomlin, I usually, I usually ask, I usually ask people how they feel about Mike Tomlin to get a gauge of, of how progressive they are. Quite frankly, it's a little, it's a little thing I have. It's a little device I use uh, when I'm talking about pro football and I ask people to name their top five coaches. And when they don't mention Mike Tomlin, well, I, it makes me it makes me wonder a little bit. I gotta be honest, okay? It makes me wonder. I'm like, okay, so who are your top five coaches? And they usually mention Sean Payton. I'm like, you know, Sean Payton went seven and nine with Drew Brees three out of four years. Did you know that? Mike Thomas never had a losing season. They say John Harbaugh. I say, well, okay, I, I like John Harbaugh. Man, great respect for him. But in the same division, you know, he has fewer division titles in the same division with Mike Tomlin. Uh, Did they ask John and, Harbaugh and Tomlin, about this? Has John Harbaugh's uh, name been floated? Speaking of John Harbaugh, his name in Philly. No, I, I so, missed that. So, okay. but no. So, listen. I just want to. I want to. I want to. I want to just flaunt my credentials a little bit. Now, I'm always caping up for Mike Tomlin because I, I think Mike. Oh, Tomlin I know that. Is and anybody that listens to you knows that. Coach. Yeah. But this is where I'm coming from, and maybe this is why I didn't really. I don't really get where he's coming from. Where I'm coming from is, 
if you're interested in me, I'm thinking, wow, you're interested in me. Thank you very much. Even if it's a job that I will respectfully turn down. I, I used to say this, I, and, I, I, and I'm not telling anything, I'm not telling you anything right now, putting out in the public that I haven't told my wife. I told my wife this. I said, back in my dating days, Oni Holly, back in my dating days, my philosophy was I'll go to dinner with anybody one time. Even if I'm not interested, I'll go to dinner with you one time just for the conversation. I might learn something. Okay? I, yeah, I'll get something out of it just talking to different that's people. A, I love talking to people. I, risky I, I, philosophy. What? Okay. And, okay. No, no, I'll go to dinner. I'll go to dinner okay. with you one time. Okay. One time. Now, okay. after that, after that one dinner, say, listen, thank you very much. Would you like to go to dinner again? No, I wouldn't. But, but I, but thank you. So somebody calling USC calling Mike Tomlin, USC saying, we'd like you to be our head coach. Okay. During the Which, season, by the way, I they haven't done. That would be annoying. You're, okay. Right. What I'm saying, but just, a, just right. a whole just, thought of it. USC trying mm -hmm. to pursue Mike Tomlin. He could look at it as insulting. Why not Sean Payton and Andy Reid? I would look at it as, oh, of course you ain't calling them. Of course you're calling me because I'm the best you got. I'm the top of the mountain. Why wouldn't you reach for the top of the mountain? I can, I can respectfully tell you no. Okay. But of course you're going to contact okay. me. Well, Michael, you know, that? I'll say this. Michael, wait. Hey, Michael, way to turn a frown upside down. I like I like how you're looking at that from a positive perspective. I appreciate that. I, I really I do. I, I mean, I, I'm not being facetious. I'm not being facetious. I, I appreciate that. It's just that traditionally, and even in conversations between me and you, traditionally, the college game from a coaching profession and even obviously from a playing perspective, the college game has always been viewed as inferior, as a step down, mm. as Ooh. you know the last alternative. Well, well, you saying, ooh, okay. Remember that reaction. But you don't the feel next that way. time I oh, talk I about Lechyshevsky oh, and Nick Saban and, Nick Saban. and the GOAT coach conversation. But you, but wait a minute. Hold on. Now, I can understand why I would say that. We're, not, we, we, we're switching. The, we're off brand. We're off brand different, in this different context. But it's different, it's different context. I'm the one right. who's supposed to be belittling it, and you're supposed to right. be making it up. So what I'm saying is traditionally, traditionally, you're in the majority from the perspective of college versus the pros. And just as a sidebar, not to derail the conversation, but I've always simply said that teaching and coaching is coaching. When you're as dominant as Nick Saban or Mike Krzyzewski, even if you're not doing it on a pro level, yeah, you belong yeah. in the conversation for John Wooden. Same type of thing, right? Okay, so that, that's just that's that point, just in case nobody's seen that conversation before. Yeah, yeah. But in the, in, in, but when it comes to the professional hierarchy, the pecking order, the ladder that Mike Tomlin has reached the top of, he's going to the Hall of Fame for crying out loud. Okay, when it comes to that, the idea that Mike Tomlin would be looking to go to college instead of if, as Carson Palmer speculated, Mike Tomlin wants out. Mike Tomlin's got his pick of oh, I don't know, conservatively twenty jobs in the NFL. If he wanted it. Okay, so that's the issue is that you're saying that Mike Tomlin would willingly take what amounts to a demotion. And I know that's insulting Ooh. to USC. 
I know that's insulting to where, where USC is a pro team in LA or or was the I'm, pro football team in LA for a long time I'm before the Rams and that. Chargers moved there. I'm insulted. Okay. But in, if I'm you're Mike Tomlin, you are coaching and winning at the highest level in, as I said yesterday, not just but, the one of the, he called it the best job, the most secure job in professional sports, which we all know. So we can stop yeah. going around in circles, but all okay. I'm saying is I appreciate how I, you're I looking at it as a positive and, and, and flattering. Yeah. But if you're Mike Tomlin, this ain't nothing to be flattered by when it's like, why would okay. I, why would if, I, co- why would I coach you? Why would I, why would I go to USC? I'm, I'm in the NFL with one of the iconic franchises in professional sports. Why would I consider USC? Oh, it's and not that I would phrase. consider USC. Is that you're throwing my name out there? Keep my name out your mouth, says Mike Tomlin. You're using my oh. name for Ooh. political capital. Fight you're using my name for cultural capital. That's what's happening here. That's what my I think it is. That's what I think uh, it is. And, and cultural capital. Hey, listen. And I'm going to pivot to something real you quick after you, after you make your point. All right, before you pivot, before you pivot, I'm going to say one. If yeah, it's gonna that, be quick. Make sure there's some spittle. Make sure some spittle forms right here and say mouth. Keep my name out your mouth and let one fly. Keep my name out your mouth. Okay. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. But I, okay. You said the key phrase is if you're Mike Tomlin, you're insulted. Now I, I, I do want to bring in some context. If I were I'm talking like I'm the AD at USC um, because I would look at it this way, Mike, I'd say all right, can we get a Super Bowl winning head coach? Well, probably not. But as I said to you yesterday, Bill Cower, special guy, very special, was there for 15 years. And right around this age, same age that Mike Tomlin is, he decided, I'm going to do something else. And for him, something else was, I'm going to get away from pro football. I love it. It's been my life. I'm going to get away from it. Started to do TV. Hasn't been back since. It's a different chapter. He's very mm-hmm. happy in his life. Yeah. So Mike Tomlin, 15 years, perhaps he wants to do something else. You've heard Mike Tomlin speak. You've heard people speak about Mike Tomlin. Very inspiring teacher, leader. Maybe at this point of his life, he says, I got nothing else to prove in the NFL. I want to go to college then football. Go home, not then only he goes home to be a family man. Level, but it's not about then that. Go home and I want to touch man. some. I want to touch 19 and 20 year old lives. These maybe. young men, maybe, maybe in Watts, maybe. Oh. Okay, uh, not now. Maybe later after he takes a sabbatical. All right. Okay. After he gets a little but older. Pivot. You want to but pivot? I, but no, I'm not gonna pivot. No, we're gonna we're gonna take a break. Uh, I was gonna talk. I was gonna talk about the okay. uh, the Rooney Rule uh, tweak that's coming out of the NFL owners meetings. We'll get to that later. Um, I want to talk to Vinny about some. Uh, yeah. NBA impressions after one week. We uh, I miss Vinny on Friday, so I got to get my Vinny fix, my Vincent Goodwill fix. We'll talk about the Rooney Rule later on. It was it was a related topic, but not worth spending any more time on. Okay. At least Rooney not now. Rule. That was part of the reason why I even chose to come to Chicago was, um, everyone was eager um, to want to be successful, want to want to win. Everybody had that chip on their shoulder um, from the city to the organization to the players that I spoke to. And, you know, coming into this season, that was everybody's mindset was, you know, it's all about winning now. Um, we're not 
in a development stage. We want to win now. Um, and that was my mindset. And I wanted to come contribute to that the best way I could. And, you know, we just trying to continue to build on that. They winning all right. Uh, Bulls 4-0 and for the first time in like 25 years since since MJ was doing his thing in Chicago. Um, that's, that sky magic is rubbing off on these Bulls, who a lot of people thought had a great offseason, bringing in Lonzo Ball and Alice Caruso, and, and, and you just heard from DeMar DeRozan to add to Zach Levine and uh, Vucevic. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good group. It's a good group. And, and 4-0 is 4-0, even though Vincent Goodwill, they've beaten Cade Cunningham-less Detroit twice, Zion Williamson-less New Orleans, and Pascal Siakam-less Toronto last night. Um, and coming up, we're going to find out for real, for real, the next six are New York, Utah, Boston, the Sixers twice, and Brooklyn. We're a week into the NBA season, Vincent Goodwill, from what you've seen so far from Chicago. Is this for real? Are they sustainable? Are they to be taken seriously? I think they're to be taken seriously. I think you're not going to expect them to run roughshod through the Eastern Conference. But when you look at the roster they have, I think – we tend to look at NBA free agents past the age of 30, like NFL players past the age of 35, like they're completely useless. Remember, people were trying to say DeMar DeRozan should take the mid-level and join the Lakers, not when he's got all this game. And <laughs> because his game, yeah, remember that nonsense? And because his game isn't, you know, that 3 and D aesthetically pleasing, you know, to the eye of the way that the game is being played now, it's like he has no use where he's a great facilitator, he can create his own shot, and late in the shot clock, he's not going to scare. So when you add him to Zach Levine, who I think is on the verge of superstardom, who's put up all the numbers but never had the fortune of playing on, on a good team, along with Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso and a really good coach in Billy Donovan, I'm not surprised that the sleeping giant Chicago Bulls are acting like a big boy team finally. All right, so what does big boy team mean? How, how far are we going to take this thing, or how high can we go? Are we talking about top four in the East? You're talking about, you know, last year's Knicks? Just give us some context. Now, okay, Michael Holly is always trying to set up the trick bag, right? You you do realize Michael Holly nope, no tricks. is trying to set he's trying to set up the trick bag because he wants me to say that either A they'll be better than Brooklyn, who he knows I'm high on, or that they'll be better than Miami, who he knows that I'm always high on. And I don't think that's the case. But if can they finish in that four to five spot in the Eastern Conference, which could very well be 50 wins, considering how good the conference is? Yeah. And I think they would be better equipped for the playoffs than the Knicks were because the Knicks played 72 playoff games last year in the 72-game season. The Bulls will still have, in my opinion, another level left to go because their good players have potential to be great. So while I do think that this year, maybe if you get in the second round, it's gravy. I do think that there'll be a team that you have to be reckoned with that you're going to really have to circle on the calendar. Mike, Michael, you just highlighted the schedule. They're going to be a team that you really have to be concerned with, whether it's the Knicks or Philadelphia or all these other teams in the East that really consider themselves contenders. I think the Bulls will be right in that second class of teams, not as high as Brooklyn or Milwaukee or even Miami, in my opinion. But in that next tier, I think they're right there. So the teams you're laying out are the ones we expect to be there at the end. But let's just have some fun with this, you know, small sample size, shall we? Uh, just close to being right there, to being right there, if not for the Celtics, with the Bulls at four. No, is the other Ball Brothers team, the Charlotte Hornets. Wasn't that long ago when I was trying to tell Michael that 
LaMelo Ball was the superstar in last year's draft and and that Gordon Hayward's contract was not the worst free agent signing in NBA history. I'm sorry, Michael. You know, I just like to bring up old shit, but no, seriously, all jokes aside, Except, did you watch Charlotte last and night? LaMelo Ball in particular. Did you watch Gordon Hayward last night? <laughs> LaMelo. I wish I had more. Hey, 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 don't anyway, get the facts. Get, don't get the facts. Get away a good story. Uh, LaMelo Ball truly seems to have taken a leap forward uh, this season. How seriously should we take Charlotte? as a potential threat in the Eastern Conference. I don't know if they're going to be like at that level of playoff threat, but they're a team that's really fun. They play hard. They play fast. And they will embarrass you. Like, if you look at what they did to the Brooklyn Nets, not just LaMelo Ball, but Miles Bridges, who's making a huge jump in the scoring department, you said it yourself. Look, Michael Jordan's teams, from an ownership standpoint, have always been fodder for the jokes. We could laugh at the Washington Wizards. We could laugh at the Charlotte Bobcats. We could laugh at the Charlotte Hornets as recently as maybe three or four years ago where the only guy we remembered mm -hmm. was the guy who was trolling Dwayne Wade while Dwayne Wade was putting the Charlotte Hornets out of the playoffs. Now they are a team. They have found themselves a superstar, a son, so to speak, not S-O-N, but S-U-N, in which everything orbits around in LaMelo Ball. That creates an identity. That creates a signature. That creates something that you can live with moving forward where players are going to say, you know what? I like my, I like my life to be easier. Let me go play with LaMelo Ball, who looks like Penny Hardaway, Jason Kidd, that type of ball player who makes everybody's Dude, life it's easier. It's not just, it's not just it's this incredible. year that you have to be worried about. It's the years going by as some of these other teams age out, and you've got this Charlotte team that's mm -hmm. young and on the come up. That's what you need to be worried about. This year is just the appetizer, in my opinion. Man, you're so right, Vinny. You talk about the jokes for Charlotte because they were easy, you know. And I think part of it was you had them. It made you. It made <laughs> other people feel better about because Jordan, you know, Jordan off the court, Jordan on the court, so much success. Hey, here it is. Here's something he can't do. Let's just uh, let's just kind of pull on that. Let's pull on this cape a little bit. When it comes to team building, but something changed. I don't know, Vinny. You tell me. Was it just the drafting of Ball? Was it the hiring of Mitch Kupchak, his North Carolina homie? Like, what was it that kind of changed Charlotte the last few years? I think it's easy to point to Mitch Kupchak, especially considering the success he had with the Lakers all those years ago. But Mitch Kupchak seemed like kind of a dinosaur who kind of aged himself out with where the Lakers were and where they were trying to go. I think it starts with the drafting of a LaMelo Ball. I think everything starts when you get the draft right. If you get the draft right in the NBA, it sets you up to be in a spot where for four years you got cost control. For four years, you know that if this guy is a great player or plays above his value, then you're going to be able to attract other players, that you're going to be able to develop a signature. So then when LaMelo Ball is up for free agency and everything else, he's not going to want to leave. Remember the big debate last year going into the draft was, Will Golden State take James Wiseman or will they take LaMelo Ball? Now, I think Golden State made mm -hmm. the right choice, but I think that LaMelo Ball having the For runway. they had, having, yeah. Exactly. Having the, he has the freedom to play, develop at his own pace, and have sort of a level of, you know what, we've never been here before. Just go out there and kick it. You know, that, that sort of breath of fresh air that was not going to be the case in Golden State where it's going to be a lot of pressure. I think he's the perfect player in the perfect situation for the perfect franchise that does not have a footprint in this version of the NBA. 
Hey, that, uh, that, that sun, that, that star in the middle of a solar system that everything orbits around got me. And, and, and basically, LaMelo being an attraction for players wanting to go to Charlotte, which is a nice town um, as well, nice place to live, um, got me thinking about one of the governors for the Atlanta Hawks. And I might be setting you up with some jokes here. Jokes, personal stories, anecdotes, untold stories, whatever you got here. But I think you saw this, Vinny. One of the, one of the governors of the Atlanta Hawks talking about why not the Atlanta Hawks, given the, 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 the stars that we're assembling, led by Trey Young, why can't we be a free agent destination uh, the same way that Miami and L.A. and, and New York uh, there you go. Look, your face says it all. Okay, just g- g- give me the Magic City jokes. Give me, <laughs> give, give, give me the Atlanta, the Atlanta stories. <laughs> I didn't hear that comment, but what I will say is you Atlanta didn't? is a much better place to visit than it is to live. Yeah. Okay? You can do things with that per diem that you don't want to do with your check. All right? It's a different ball game. And yeah, yeah. It's that not might just be your Magic best City. bar yet. That might be your best bar yet. You can do things that per diem you can't do. You don't want to do with your check. <laughs> hey, look, if you do it with your check, it's got something that says like, hey, honey, what's this LLC entertainment stand for right by it? Oh, baby, I don't know what that is. I couldn't even tell you. It's in. It said it's in Atlanta when y'all were on the road trip. What does that mean? Baby, I don't know. I can't, I, I don't, I can't tell you. But that, that per diem spins hey, and it spins quietly. It, it, it spins quietly, baby. That's what it is. But you know I what, man? It. Listen, hey, it might, it might turn out to be that if if Trey Young continues his development, like they, this is the, in this era, in this era, you're you're really recruiting people to your town. So Trey Young d- d- continues to do his thing. Maybe he is able to draw a superstar to Atlanta, and then you take. What you used to do in Atlanta, you take that somewhere else. And, you know, they got Magic City, other places, Magic City-like places, especially if Vegas gets a team. New York, you could do that. Phoenix, come on. Nah, Texas, not that I know this. One. I'm just saying, this is what I heard. This is all I heard. There's only one Magic City, and I am not a connoisseur. Miami? Of such activities. Nah, Miami's a completely different <laughs> bird, and you go to Miami, you wind up leaving Miami with Trina's lips on the side of your neck or something like that. You don't want those type of problems. You know what I mean? Remember, remember that Kenya Martin tattoo that he had Trina's lips on the side of his neck? Yeah. Atlanta is a is a get in and get out place. And to your point about free agency, here's the dirty little secret. If the Eastern Conference is better, like we expect, you've got a bunch of places that are attractive. New, the New York Knicks will look attractive in the light. The Chicago Bulls, as we've seen, yeah. can look, look good in the light. The, the certain teams were only free agent destinations because other cities didn't have their ish together. And if some of these marquee markets have their ish right. together, and I don't even mean the Brooklyn Nets because I think they're still a relatively new franchise that people don't necessarily connect with unless you're one of those January 6th folks. You don't really connect with the Brooklyn Nets at this point. But if well you played. Well played. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're the New York well Knicks and you're a heritage franchise, I think that connects with a way, especially you guys brought up the Chicago Bulls. People still associate the Bulls with Michael Jordan. So if those teams wind up being competent and relevant, as great as the Atlanta Hawks could be, 
I think some of these other heritage franchises take a little bit more precedent, which I think would be good for the NBA because they've been begging to have, you know, some relevant franchises in the Eastern time zone during that first half of a <clears> doubleheader. Yeah. So I, I promised you last time I, I, I'm not I'm staying on the court with the Nets, but I want to stay on the court with the Nets in a broader sense. Okay. Um, because Listen, I mean, everybody's played a handful of games. We're a week into the season right now. You can't have any real grand takeaways about where these teams are going to end up. But so far, uh, the NFL's emphasis, and we're going to hear from James Harden on this in a second because he's uh, his free throws are way down. I think he has like nine free throws or 12 free throws or something through mm -hmm. four games NBA's, when he was averaging that many a couple of years ago per emphasis. game. What is it? What did I say? The NBA's emphasis. NFL. Yeah, what did I say? Oh, I said NFL. Well, yeah, you know what I mean. We talking about the NFL. NBA. The NBA's yeah. emphasis. Oh, what on, do you man. think I'm talking about? Major League Baseball. Okay. The, the NBA's emphasis. Accuracy. Sorry, Accuracy. Michael. The National Basketball Association's emphasis on yes. these unnatural movements that people were draw exactly that people were using to draw fouls has led to approximately 19.5 free throw attempts per game this season, fewest in NBA history. Here is James Harden about this emphasis that's costing him his usual parade to the free throw line. Coach kind of said the same thing. He said that you're kind of like the poster boy of the new rule change now. Yeah. Do you, you kind of feel that way? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I'm not the type to complain about it. You know what I mean? Um, I just, you know, I ask every, every official, you know, if they see a foul, just call it a foul. Um, sometimes I feel like, you know, coming into a game, you know, it's already predetermined or it's already have that. I already have that stigma of, you know, getting foul calls. But uh, I just ask for officials to just call what they see. So it's working in terms of fewer free throws. Is this better for the game? I mean, it, it feels like it is from a pace and from an aesthetic standpoint. Um, I, I like it. How, how are you receiving it, Vinny? How are your league insiders and uh, and your connections around the league receiving this emphasis? Because players will eventually adjust. I like it. I love it. I want more of it. Like, I do not like the fraud that comes with defending a guy like James Harden. Remember, you know, a couple years ago, guys were playing with their hands behind their back because the second that they got into mm -hmm. a defensive crouching position, the way that you talk one hand on the ball, one hand in the passing lane, he would miraculously stick his arm or shoulder blade underneath yours, create some nonsense contact and get a foul caught, which prompted, you know, the Lord and Savior of the dorks, Daryl Morey, to come out and say, he is the greatest scorer in the history of the game because he makes more free throws than he does field goals. You can't name a player in NBA history whose, whose main buckets, whose main source of scoring comes from the free throw line. That, I don't, that's not basketball to me. And while James Harden can look every bit like the victim, like the hostage that he looked like in that clip that you guys showed, where he said he feels like he's the poster child. <laughs> a, a hostage dog? <laughs> he, look, he, look like, he, look like a, he look like a hostage. Y'all saw that? He, look, he literally looked like he should have been reading off of a sheet of paper. They be treating us good. We yeah. all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That type of thing. He, he, right. he it, did, it did not look, it did, he don't, you didn't tell me he don't like a hostage right there? Come on, y'all. He, he looked like he's reading from a teleprompter. And I give it to him. He's been successful. <laughs> he's been successful this way. But when you look like 30... Omar Gooding and in, in, uh, in Baby Boy, that's what he looked like. Omar Gooding, that's what he looked like. You remember that? Like, yeah. Baby Boy, <laughs> I got strawberry syrup. 
I got strawberry soda. I got water, milk, juice. <laughs> I'm sorry. What were you saying? No, it's not. But I think you know threw me all off. But no, I, I think when when your main source of scoring is a step back three or somebody following you. You're going to have to adjust. And remember, Steve Nash said that Trey Young doing this last year, that's not basketball. When the guy, mm-hmm. main guy you got on your right. team produces that way, and without Kyrie Irving on this team, at least for the time being, it's going to be more pressure on a guy like James Harden to produce legitimately as opposed to this other way. And, yeah, it's going to tail off the players who adjust. The officials will sort of tend to go back to the Mendoza line. But I am pleasantly surprised to see this, and I think people around the league are too. The, I'm the glad number you're not is 14, by the way. Four, 14, 14 free throw it. attempts in five games. 14 free throw attempts in five games so far for uh, James Harden uh, this year. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. Not 14. I can't, 12. It is 12. Sorry. Anyway, point is, he ain't going to the line a lot. Vinny Goodwill, you score from anywhere on the floor. We appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. We'll see you again Friday, all right? For Feel Goodwill Friday. Yes, sir. Thank yes, sir. you, Vinny. See you guys on. All right. Steve I don't know where you want to start, but I, the one thing coming into this game that we had not seen from him, I mean, obviously he'd been incredible. The production had been impressive. We had not seen him go against the top shelf corner that was going to be up in his face from the start of this game. That is what Marlon Humphrey is. That is the way the Ravens play. And he shrugged it off like it wasn't even there. Yeah, when you make an entire defense change what they want to do, yeah, that's that's affecting the game. All right, let's talk to a guy who knows the game inside out. That's Robert Mays from The Athletic. What's up, man? Good to talk to you. Uh, I see that Bears helmet lurking in the background. We'll get to the State of the Chicago Bears football franchise momentarily. But let's start there with, uh, with Jamar Chase, who, you know, all season long uh, has made – uh, any criticisms of the Bengals using him with the fifth overall pick and any concerns about his preseason drops just look so silly in hindsight. I mean, and he's that, and you would have to think he, and for that matter, Joe Burrow, haven't even scratched the surface of truly figuring it out despite all the reps that they've had. But I love that point about this was against Marlon Humphrey, and Marlon Humphrey looked helpless out there against um, against Jamar Chase. So, what more are you seeing that's impressed you through these first uh, seven games? And where else can he take his game? Because he's on his way not just to be an offensive rookie of the year, but maybe all pro. I don't know where he can get better, which is the scariest part that he's five games into his career. I mean, if you look at it, he's doing everything you'd want him to. The first five or six weeks of the season or so, what impressed me the most was just the acceleration in the open field. Like his ability to hit another gear on vertical routes was incredible. And he also had a really good sense for kind of the nuances of the position where he's given a little head fake here to create more separation at the top of routes. He's flashing his hands late on vertical routes against corners so they don't know the ball is coming. Mm. Stuff that you'd typically expect from fourth, fifth, six-year receivers. And But you hadn't seen up until this week him play against a really good press man corner. Teams hadn't been playing him that way. If you look at the corners he was going against, you know, guys in the Lions who were undrafted, backups on several other teams. Marlon Humphrey is an all-pro level cornerback, and the Ravens play a ton of sticky man coverage. And watching him work on his release game at the line of scrimmage 
and just every single detail associated with that, how confidently that play right there, <laughs> him, his ability to threaten yeah. corners vertically in the way we saw from the first six weeks of the season, but then also get them on skates and release inside. I mean, there aren't a lot of aspects to his game where you want to say, I need to see more because we've seen everything you'd want yeah. to. He's checked every single box at the position so far. And you know what just can't be underrated is how much these guys improve once they get the benefit of the NFL being their full-time job and, and NFL coaching. But it, but this, this thought just occurred to me, and I wonder, remember in the preseason, Robert and Michael, for that matter, when uh, there was concern about whether or not taking the year off, opting out in 2020 may have affected Jamar Chase. I wonder if it affected us more than Chase because this guy was the Belitnikoff Award winner, a beast in 2019. We saw how great he was with Joe Burrow, and now he gets to the league, and nobody should be surprised he's tearing it up, but I wonder if he's even better than advertised. Compare what you're seeing from him now, Robert, to what you saw and knew the Bengals were getting coming out of LSU based on his 2019 tape. His game is more advanced than I expected it to be because in college, the reason that I had – I don't even say concerns. The reason I thought he, there was a question about whether he was worth the top five pick is that I thought, is any receiver worth a top five pick? You, know, you look at where we've found all pro mm -hmm. receivers historically. You can do it at any level of the draft. AJ Brown was a second round pick. DJ Metcalf was a second round pick. It's hard to find rare big players in that area of the draft. And one of the reasons I didn't think he was just mm -hmm. a no brainer top 10 pick in the way that guys like Julio or Calvin Johnson are where they're hall of famers walking off the bus is that he played a really physical brand of football at LSU where he was bullying guys. It's hard to do that at six foot, 200 pounds and change in the NFL. But his game has been about so much more than that in the league in a way that I just couldn't have predicted. Again, the details are so much more advanced than I thought they were going to be at this stage that he's not just a bully. He, he is a full-time receiver. The stat that I threw out that I thought was absolutely nuts is that he's exactly everything aspect of that plus the explosiveness. He's seventh in the NFL in yards after catch per reception. And he's seventh in the NFL in air yards per target. So he's one of the best deep threats in the league and one of the best yak guys in the league. That's not possible. That's hard the, to get the, that Very rarely do you see yeah. a player with that profile, but that's already what he is. You heard that, Michael Holland? Oh, Robert, I'm you really were, surprised. You, were, you, were, you, were, you, were surprised. you were not alone. Robert, <laughs> I got to I'm surprised that you didn't see it. I saw it a couple of years ago. I told Michael Smith. <laughs> Who wanted the Bengals to take Penny Sewell and was really critical of the Cincinnati Bengals? So, uh, I'm you know, you guys are catching up right now. It's you know, actually, Robert, it's the total opposite. I ripped the Bengals up and down for taking this guy in the top five, and well so done, he is well uh, done. he is he has he has answered every question that you said. Let me ask you this though, because you want to talk about some questions, and I saw you writing about this and doing some film study on the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that they're playing like this. I'm shocked they scored three points, three points against the Tennessee Titans. Is this a temporary condition, or is this something really deep, something really dysfunctional, just offensive? I'm not talking about uh, relational. I'm just talking about just on the field going on with the Kansas City Chiefs. I think it's temporary when you look at their offense. 
Because if you look at most of the numbers and even just the way it felt over the first month of the season, they had no trouble moving the ball. I mean, they're creating first downs at a rate that no other offense in the league was. So the turnovers are obviously an issue. And then Mitchell Schwartz comes on my show every single week, obviously somebody who knows that team extremely well. And we were talking about what it feels like when a good team struggles. And when a good team is struggling, the problems are always moving and changing. On every single play, it's one different thing going wrong. And that's what it feels like for the Chiefs' offense right now. It's one tipped ball here. It's one offensive lineman getting beat on this play and then another offensive lineman getting beat on the next play. It's not as if all of these moving parts aren't in synchronized motion. It's one thing here and there on offense. On defense, we have much bigger problems than that. It's not one thing here or there. That is a structural issue that I don't think is going to get fixed anytime soon. Certainly not this season. All right, you talk about things that uh, that aren't going to get fixed anytime soon. You want to talk about some problems. All right, now it's time to bring in that little logo behind you, that helmet, <laughs> uh, the Chicago Bears. I, I, I want I want to hear what you what you think about the general manager, the head coach, and uh, their first round pick, a quarterback. I, mean, I, I think it's all connected with the Bears, whether you see it as a positive thing going forward or, you know, two of these guys have to be removed. So the third guy fields can flourish. I just wonder how you see that whole dynamic in Chicago. I think that's probably the right answer because as currently constructed, they're not giving him the best chance to succeed. You know, you look at some of the numbers and he's taken more sacks than any quarterback in the NFL, but a lot of those sacks aren't on him. He does hold on to the ball a little bit too long, but this is an outright disaster with the structure of the offense, with the personnel that they have. I mean, going back to the way they plan this offensive line, cutting Charles Leno, trading up in the second round for somebody, you know, they have no depth there. They played their third string right tackle this week. He had absolutely no shot, especially when he wasn't getting help. I mean, the moves that they've made on the personnel side and the way that they've built this team left them completely ill-equipped to deal with the rigors of the modern NFL. And when you drop a first round pick quarterback into that situation, it doesn't magically solve it. That was my problem and my concern coming into this season is that just because they stumbled into Justin Fields partially out of desperation because they knew they needed to find a quarterback in order to save themselves, the guys that are still in charge, they're the ones that have been making these decisions. Nothing about them has inherently changed because they picked Justin Fields. So all of the ills that this team has faced over the last several years, they're still there and you see them. And now they're starting to affect the development of the most important pick that this team is going to make in the next five or six seasons. So I do feel like they need to hit the reset button in order to remove just that overall climate that has gotten them in this position. You know, we, we talked about the fifth overall pick. Uh, let's not sleep on the fourth overall pick, um, <laughs> who some thought coming into the draft was the best player regardless of position. So the last two games with the buy in between Kyle Pitts is really starting to come on and he and Matt Ryan are really starting to click. What are you seeing there? He's a unicorn. Uh, I thought that's what he was coming into the draft and that's what he looks like on the field. I mean, you watch him. I my thought coming into the season is that they would use him like A.J. Brown. That's what I assumed he'd be in that offense. I didn't think he'd be a tight end. I thought his snaps would be all over the place, mm. and we'd see him on kind of those deep in-breakers off play action, those yak opportunities that Arthur Smith created for A.J. Brown over the last couple seasons. And you did see a little bit of that. 
on Sunday. But you also saw him winning outside the numbers on deep balls, one-on-one against Xavier Howard. You saw him running fades from the slot. You saw him bullying safeties over the middle of the field. I mean, doing every single thing you'd want at every single spot on the field. And that's why I say he's a unicorn because nobody is built like him. Nobody has that skill set. And now we're getting to see it fully on display. I mean, he when you draft a guy in the top five, you want to draft a guy you can't find anywhere else. And he is exactly that kind of player. You can talk about positional value, but he's not a tight end. He's just an offensive weapon, and I think that we're seeing exactly what that means in practice now. All right, we we had this uh, conversation earlier, Robert, about Mike Tomlin. Uh, We talked about it yesterday. Carson Palmer comes out and says, hey, Mike Tomlin's a wild card. We had the conversation on the show yesterday. I said, hey, maybe you'd consider it. Mike said, no way, and today we had the great emphatic response from Tomlin How do you see that? Do you think USC is legitimately interested? Do you think Tomlin has a case for being insulted uh, to even have his name mentioned in this job with this job? I think I would be insulted a little bit if I were Mike Tomlin. It, It does feel like he's a perpetually underrated head coach. I mean, the idea that he's never had a losing season in the NFL is mind boggling when you consider how many different iterations of that team they've gone through and his ability to shepherd every single one of those versions the way that he has makes him one of the best coaches in the entire sport. And I just, I understand it the way Mike Tomlin understands it. Why would you want to go chase 17 year old recruits in the Valley somewhere when you get to be the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the greatest organizations, not only in the NFL, but in American sports in terms of stability, in terms of resources, reputation. Uh, So his response today to me was not surprising. Hey, last thing we got for you before we let you go, man, we appreciate the time and the insight Uh, since we got you. We're a couple of days away uh, from a couple of days away. Excuse me from uh, an NFC showdown. I mean, it's really hard to call it really in either conference. It's so it's, it's so top heavy. You can make a case for a lot of teams in AFC can certainly make a case for a lot of teams in the NFC as the class of their respective conferences, but there's only one undefeated team. So you got Cardinals Packers Thursday night Devontae Adams on the COVID list. I know Michael doesn't think very highly of Devontae Adams because he wasn't drafted in the first round, even though he doesn't like a first round being, receiver being taken in the top five. But that's okay. That's okay. Um, nonetheless, um, the Packers have managed. I can't come on, man. It's too easy. The Packers have managed. I believe the I number is nice. six and zero yeah. the last two years without Devontae Adams. Uh, how do you see this matchup playing out? You talk about underrated. It feels like there's some reluctance, or maybe I'm projecting, but a little bit of reluctance nationally to uh, to anoint the Cardinals as the class of the NFC. And what could a win, albeit against a shorthanded Packers team? do for for that franchise uh, and its stature just to give us more reason to believe and, and just the idea that this isn't mirage you know jj watts said it the other day on the sidelines maybe we're just good maybe we're just better than other people and whether it's because of the hot start they had last year or cliff kingsbury's reputation i think there are a lot of reasons why people may be hesitant but when you watch this team and they're for real and they have talent and they understand how to deploy that talent especially on defense yep. you know, I, I thought that their yeah. offense had a chance to be really good if Kyler could stay healthy just because of the sheer talent they had on that side of the ball. I was concerned about their defense. You think about the guys they have on the back end, very little experience, and I didn't know if their pass rush could carry them. But if you watch their back seven play, 
it's all very synced up. The communication is really good. I'm just very impressed by the job that Vance Joseph has done. And I think that that defense to me is the reason that I'm willing to get excited about them and I'm willing to buy in because it's not just Kyler making splash plays. They have talent on the other side of the ball and everything over there is well-constructed. They're the type of team, especially defensively, where you remember that you played them. You know, like it, it, you're sore after messing around with that Cardinals defense, <laughs> the way they fly around and hit you. It. Hey, man, yeah. uh, I always feel smarter, Robert Mays, reading you in the athletic. Definitely feel smarter after talking to you. Come back and kick it with us again sometime, man, and give us uh, drop some more knowledge. School us a little bit more, okay? Anytime, guys. It's an honor to be invited. So thank you very much. Talk to you guys soon. Pleasure's ours, man. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. First and ten, shotgun snap is low around his knees, he drops it, Winston picks it up, there's a wobbly pass at the ten, caught on the sideline, Kamara at the five, breaks a tackle, inside, the pylon, touchdown, he got in, he snuck in, Kamara with a 13-yard catch and run, and New Orleans has grabbed their first lead tonight, just before halftime. Yeah, I talk about how great of a player he is uh, and how healthy he is to this offense just in general. Uh, AK is one of the most dominant players in this, in this league. Uh, so it's always exciting um, when, when you put the ball in his hands and, and watch the things that he does. I was asked at the end of the half, you know, why Alvin so much? And a lot of that was based on the, the depth of the underneath coverage. Um, so Jameis was smart enough to, you know, keep dumping it to him. Typically a, a good two-minute drill, there's, there's always a – an underneath throw or two to the runners, and, and this was no no different. So um, then it tightened up a little bit more in the second half. Yeah, yeah. I, and I was saying it to Bobby. I'm like, dang, y'all doubling me? Come on, like give me some space. But I mean, that's what any smart smart defense does. And then you know you got Pete Carroll over there. They know what to do. They adjust, and um, they they adjusted second half and kind of you know uh, kind of blocked that up for me. So I mean, it opens up other things though. So it's all good. Look, man, bottom line with Alvin Kamara, 179 yards from scrimmage last night, 128 receiving yards on 10 receptions. Uh, In just his 66th career game, he became the fastest player ever to reach 3,000 yards rushing and receiver, passing Roger High knees, high stepping Craig. Ooh. Talking about Bill Walsh a minute ago. Talk about it. Talk about it. Love some Roger Craig, boy. But I mean, Roger Craig and after him, Marshall Falk. Love watching that dude play. Roger Craig and after him, Marshall Falk, those were in, you know, in a more modern NFL, not going all the way back to Gail Sayers or nothing like that, but Roger Craig, Marshall Falk, those are the quintessential dual threat running backs, three down running backs. That could that that had, that were a three and both of them I believe did it. Yeah, both of them did it. Had a thousand yards rushing and a thousand yards receiving in a single season. Alvin Kamara's got that kind of ability. Bottom line with, with Alvin Kamara is in conversations, he comes up in best running back all the time. But in conversations about best player in the NFL, his name isn't mentioned enough. I know we we gravitate toward the quarterbacks, Aaron Donald, and especially the last couple of years. This yeah. year, you know, most definitely Derrick Henry. But Alvin Kamara as a football player is just so fun to watch, so dominant, so complete. Where it's such a far cry from when he first got into the league, and Sean Payton was had him in tandem with Mark Ingram, and Kamara was seen as this change of pace back. This sucker takes it between the tackles and runs with power, runs with balance. You know, he's as shifty as anybody. 
He's, there, he's he takes a back seat to nobody. I know Derrick Henry, King Henry is the standard, and rightfully yeah. so. Yeah. But Alvin Kamara takes a back seat to nobody. So he he is incredible and just fun to watch. Better to have on your fantasy team. He is fun uh, to watch. Missed out. Hey, beyond fantasy team, and, and you're you're right on your fa- is he on your fantasy team? No, I, I know, I no no he, he, no. But, I, but wait wait wait. Any real quick, players? I dra- I I drafted him as a rookie. I drafted him as a rookie. I had him as rookie year when he balled out. I was okay, a, I was ahead of the game on Alvin Kamara. What round? But continue. Seventh, seventh, eighth, Late. ninth round. I don't. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm the originator of, of zero running back. I'm the originator of waiting okay. until late to draft running backs. So I drafted him like late in the draft as rookie year before anybody was hip. But continue. But Mike, if you imagine the smiles on draft day, I'm talking about the NFL draft, not the fantasy draft. Smiles on draft day. Yep. If you fit the profile of the, the following, the following profile, if you are a heady defensive player going to the Baltimore Ravens or Pittsburgh Steelers, if you are uh, a running back or an offensive player going to the New Orleans Saints, you smile. If you're one of those guys, hey, I'm just a baller. I ain't got a position. I know I can play somewhere. I ain't got a position. And the New England Patriots call you. You would get excited. So. You're right. Alvin Kamara. I I have no doubt that he does belong in that conversation. He belongs in that conversation. That's true. And it's also true that he's in a perfect situation for him. He's got a an offense that's built around him, whether it's Drew Brees, a quarterback or now Jameis Winston right now. They got no choice. uh, An offensive. He's got an offensive minded coach who understands what he Mm -hmm. what his value is and puts him in the position to be successful. He's so much fun to watch and I'm enjoying watching the five and two don't know what to expect. New Orleans Saints yesterday four and two yesterday's game really Give him another one. They'll uh, be they'll be they'll be five and two if they, they if they beat Tampa. They had a buy. That's right. Yeah, they had a buy last week. They'll That's be right. five and two if they I'm beat about, Tampa, which will, which will be a whole other conversation if that happens, but for yeah. but this is what I like. This is what I like about the Saints. I like to say uh, that I don't know what to get what what I'm going to expect from what I'm going to get from them. They've dropped 38 in that first game uh, against the Packers Then mm. they come back and they, they look like they're out of sorts in their second game. They come they go on the road. Yeah, Carolina. and they beat the Patriots. Yeah. Yep. but then listen to this. Last night, two minute warning. It's 10 10. <laughs> It's a 10 10 game. They lose to and the they Giants. Can, the New Orleans Saints yeah. winning 13 to 10 over Seattle mm-hmm. at Seattle. What this tells me is I think it's going to be a fun year in New Orleans. It's not one of those teams where, oh, I don't know what you're going to get out of them. They're going to wind up being 7 and 10, 8 and 9. No, I think the Saints, I think the Saints are going to win a bunch of games. I think they'll probably win 11 games. And their calling card this year will be we can win in a number of ways. You just better be ready for anything. I like it. Uh, I, I like what I'm be... seeing and they seem to be what? Uh, they seem to play around they Jameis. Seem to be what? Now, maybe it's a function of not having a lot of weapons on the outside. If yes. Michael Thomas comes back and yes. hits, the, hits the ground running, they can really be formidable. Kamara's got to stay healthy and be able to, I mean, I think he had, what, was it 30 touches last night or something like that? I, I forgot what it was, but um, they're running him into the ground. He seems to be up to the challenge, but this is why, and I'm not, listen, I, I know I had the Bucks winning the Super Bowl. Like, this, all these things can be true. 
I have the Bucks repeating as Super Bowl champions. I've not come off of that, right? Yeah. But remember before the season when Jameis won the job and was impressed in the preseason, I was like, they could win the division just as they did last year. Yes. They play defense yes. in New Orleans. Okay. They run, they got a superstar running back in New Orleans. If Jameis takes care of the ball, they open up that passing game a little bit more. When Michael Thomas comes back, they, they're, they're a team that, with all the 6 and 1 and 7 and 0 teams in the, in, in the NFC, doesn't really get talked about it. Maybe it's got to do with the Carolina loss or the Giants loss, but nonetheless, um, they are formidable. I do want to go to the other side. I don't know if you had anything else on the Saints, but I want to go to the other side of this uh, this game. This, yeah, let's this go to the other side. Ugly let's game talk about last this. night. This is well, one of the big surprises in an alternate league, universe. In, a, in an alternate universe, if Russell Wilson has his way, well, hypothetically had his way, because remember, he didn't want to get traded, but his agent did put out a list. On that list was the New Orleans Saints. There is a world if Russell Wilson decides to go that route again and try to force the issue more than he did this past offseason. There is a world in which um, Russell Wilson and Alvin Kamara are teammates next year uh, in New Orleans because right. the Saints were on Russell Wilson's uh, list as, as released by his agent. So last night, Geno Smith struggles again. Looked like it was going to be a good story, but no more. No, by the way, no more Seahawks in prime time. They've lost their last three games, all of them in prime time. I don't need to see that anymore for the rest of the season. But what was interesting was listening to Pete Carroll uh, after the game acknowledge the obvious, which is that man, oh man, does this team miss Russell Wilson? Well, the uh, if if um, <laughs> let's say it this way, if I, I've been here a long time, and uh, if we didn't have Russell, I probably wouldn't have been here a long time. <laughs> Because all the think of all the magic that he's created in, in the years. He's got numbers and stats in fourth quarter, this is the Nats and all that stuff. You know, one of the winningest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. And uh, and it'll be really fun when he comes back and plays football again for us this year. And and uh, you know, we owe a tremendous amount. You can see how hard it is. You know, I mean, all of these games that they all the Rams game, the the what was the next one? The um, Steelers, yeah, Steelers in this one. I mean, you know, Russell's a factor. <laughs> He's a fantastic positive factor and always has been. And, I mean, those are exactly his time. That, that's his time. And that's when he shines. And, and um, so, you know, we miss him. And in the meantime, we're going to keep fighting and clawing and doing everything we can. Hey, Mike, uh, you were at my wedding. You were one of my groomsmen. You know that um, yeah. my stepdad, yeah. Bobby J., Perform two, not one, but two. Bobby J. Uh, Jeffrey Osborne stuff LTD like tracks on the on the wings of love and love ballad. Yeah. So here's another one, and I, I use I say this all the time. I love this line. One of my favorite Jeffrey Osborne LTD songs is "Concentrate on You," and there's a line in "Concentrate on You" mm-hmm. where Jeffrey Osborne says, "Oh, it takes separation to bring appreciation." And that's what you see with Seattle right now. Russell Wilson ain't been hurt. Russell Wilson don't get hurt, okay? But right now, the man who has yet to get an MVP vote in his entire career, his value cannot be more pronounced. And I wonder if what you're seeing from Seattle, right, in terms of their flaws without Russell Wilson versus, I wonder if, is that more of an impetus for him to say, I'm not getting a second Super Bowl title here? Or is it more of an impetus for the organization to say, Russ, 
whatever you need. Anthony Edwards, whatever, whatever you need out of us as an organization to make you feel better about staying here for the rest of your career. You tell us because we do not like what it looks like without you. All right, I'm going to answer that question in a second. Let me just tell you about my dog, Bobby Jado. Did you mention that Jeffrey Osborne? I told you this before. <laughs> People need to know this. People need to hear this story. Now, right before you got married, Bobby J pulled me aside. He said, come here, come here, come here. Let me tell you something. I've always been inspired by Jeffrey Osborne. Jeffrey Osborne. He said, now, there's some things Jeffrey Osborne can do that I can't do. And there's some things I can do <laughs> that, sound like that Jeffrey Osborne said. can't do. I, I said, that sound like something he was that's saying. my man right there. He said it. He said, I, he was dead serious. Yeah. I said, oh, yeah. this is good. I said, I, yeah. well, look, I can't wait to hear you sing. I can't wait to hear you sing at Marsh Chapel on the, on the campus of Boston University, famous place. Anyway, yeah. uh, answer that question. Look, Mike, I think they already knew. I think Pete Carroll already knew. He's just restating what he's known. I don't think that, that the issues between, if you want to call them that, the issues between Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll and the Seahawks had anything to do with, oh, we just we can do without Russ. I think it really came down to no. Hey, Russ, I, I know you got some problems. Don't don't bring that. Don't make that public, man. Don't don't bring. Don't be yeah. like these other franchises. Don't bring that. Don't bring our stuff out there. I think they understand it. I think they overstand who Russell Wilson is, and, and there's no doubt in my mind that he will finish his career as a member of the Seahawks. No he doubt had, in your mind. He had his okay. moment. No doubt in my mind. He's going to finish his career. He just had to vent the Seahawks. He had to get it off his chest. He went out and he had, it, he said some things, yeah. right? I got to say something. I, oh, I'm going to say yeah. something. I'm going to say yeah. something. <laughs> he came out and he yeah. talked and then he moved on. But I, I got to say, yeah. this is not about Russell Wilson. This is a little bit of a failure. This is a little bit of an organizational failure. We just talked what? about the back last year. Drew Brees. Oh, I said, look, Drew Brees missed what? Five games last year. They go five and zero. Oh, then they go He's five and zero. Oh. He was hurt the last couple of years. Something that sounds about right. Yeah, with Teddy Bridgewater, that sounds about right. Teddy Bridgewater was two years Come ago. On. I'm sorry, Jameis was the backup last year. Yeah. Yeah, you can't fall so apart. So Taysom Hill played for him last year. Apart. They, they had Taysom Hill filling, not Jameis, remember, right. and in the year Taysom before, Hill and, and they had Teddy Bridgewater. But right. It was both of them. Yeah. It was yeah. Yeah, Jameis and Taysom Hill, and and they either 4-1, 5-0, oh, something like that. They were fine. They were fine without their starting yeah. quarterback, Hall of Famer Drew Brees. Right. I just think I, I have so much respect for the Seahawks, but still, you're sitting there at 2-5. and five, that's, that's really, it's it's inexcusable. And if Geno Smith has been good, you need to do. You need to be a little better than good. When you got Russell Wilson as, yeah, your, as your starter, you know, your backup has to be able to carry you through. And it's always all oh, these games. Well, are close. you know so what? what? Again, it's your job. Yeah, to win but I mean, I, I don't. I don't know that. I can't agree with you there. Look, we nobody was talking about the backup quarterback situation in Seattle until now because nobody had to talk about okay. the backup quarterback in situation in Seattle until now. The dude played and started in every sixty, all sixteen games every year hey. of his career since he drafted in the league in two thousand twelve. And so, even though he was the most sacked quarterback in the league, he never got hurt. 
kept, got up, kept going, right. and this year he gets hurt on a fluke injury when Which he hits his finger on Aaron Donald's down. arm. So, so no, but what I'm saying is, Michael, you know this, very few quarterbacks, and again, commend the Saints for having Teddy Bridgewater on the cheap and then Jameis Winston on the cheap behind Drew Brees. But very few teams. They've, they've been intentional with it. Well, but, how, but Michael, how many, how many teams have guys as backup quarterbacks that could actually step in and not, you not miss a beat with? How many teams are, this is my point, okay. how many teams are that good around the quarterback first and foremost where you don't miss a beat, but how many people have starting caliber backup quarterbacks? Usually, you okay. know, they're, they're backups for a reason. I know. But yeah, they're backups for a reason. But I had to start last week, and 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 well, I'm still on topic. I know we're talking about the Saints and Seahawks, but I really had no, to start good. last week when my man, when my fan, my man, DeForest, DeErnest, excuse me, DeErnest. <laughs> I never met a brother named DeErnest. DeErnest, yeah. DeErnest Johnson. No, me neither. For the Cleveland Browns, yeah. okay, he's the star of the game. But you know who really was the the second star? You know, kind of give it a little hockey, some hockey uh, jargon here. The second star of the game was Case Keenum and the third star of the game was Andrew Barry because Case Keenum makes six million dollars a year as a backup quarterback for the Cleveland Browns and I remember telling somebody as I was mm. watching that game they may have paid six million dollars for this win just six million but it's worth it because as we can see now the mm. AFC is getting tighter and tighter the Browns holding on in yeah. a really tough competitive division at four and three yeah it's worth it and did they think that Baker Mayfield was going to get hurt? Well, no, he probably didn't think he was going to get hurt. Well, and I love that worked. point. I absolutely love that. They were prepared. I love that point. Only thing I would nitpick about it is this. Maybe you could afford to pay Case Keenan that much to be backup quarterback when your quarterback's still on his rookie contract, one. Two, yep. okay. Ernest Johnson as a third running back in yep. an offense, and no takeaway from nothing from Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, but in an offense that Bill Callahan got that line blocking like nobody's business, no matter who's playing. And running backs are much, much more plentiful, as you know, than starting caliber quarterbacks, which again, that's why I say, look, Jason Johnson tells us every time he comes on that he wants Ken Norton up out of there in Seattle. The defense has been flawed all along. That's why I'm saying if you're Russell Wilson, even though the organization appreciates you, thanks in no small part to his first time being separated from you, do you look at this team and say, I can win another Super Bowl here? That was what the issue was, getting restless, watching Tom Brady like they all are, being like, damn, man, I got to get one in before it's too late. I don't know that Russell is finished being restless. He may not be young anymore, but he's still restless. I'm not quite sure that, and I think he's stepping back right now on the sideline like, yeah, that's what I was talking about. <laughs> this is what I've been having to carry all these years, at least lately, that is. So. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Russell now, Russell singing that Jeffrey Osborne. What we have is much more than they can see. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Turn that up, boy. Little rock. With some of these young pieces and Locke right at the top of the list. A little read option maneuver by Locke. Whoa, give me that sh man. Y'all playing with Oh, let go, K9! Yes, sir. Turn up! Turn up, nine! I'm back. Nothing! Why y'all playing with me? Why the y'all playing with me? I'm smart. We brought the smart back. We brought the smart back. And looking right, throwing right, again high, and broken up by Asante Samuel. 
No sir! No sir, Zach! Let's go, boy! Always a good idea to have Chris Harris Jr., <laughs> Super Bowl champion, four-time Pro Bowl cornerback Chris Harris Jr., the Los Angeles Chargers, mic'd up. But here's the thing about Chris Harris Jr. Since he got into the league, undrafted out of Kansas, he walks it just like he talks it. And he is talking to brother from another right now about a lot of things. First and foremost, Chris Harris Jr., thank you for joining us. Listen, um, all season long, we've been trying to figure out who the best team in the AFC is. Since you always keep it yeah. a buck, as we heard it just now, tell us why by the, by the end of the yeah. season, it will be the Los Angeles Chargers. Why do y'all have the potential Man, to be the best I in the AFC? I think we got a complete team. I think when you look on the defensive side, you look on the offensive side, um, you have both sides that are in the top 10 and a lot of categories on the defensive side and the offensive side. So a lot of weapons, a lot of star, stars. We have stars on both sides of the ball, guys that are capable of making game-changing plays, and uh, we just got to bring it together, you know, having a new coaching staff, a new uh, pretty much new team uh, coming together this year. It was huge for us to start fast under Coach Staley, and, uh, we feel like he's just he's just um, getting used to the league and getting used to being the head coach, and he's going to improve as the season goes. So that's why we feel confident in this back stretch of the season. When we last saw you guys, um, things didn't go so smoothly. That was a shock shock wave yeah. around the league uh, that lost to Baltimore the way that went down. You have had the bye week yeah. to kind of sit with that, to kind of simmer with that, have that bad taste in your mouth. Like, what kind of Chargers yeah. team is going to come out of this bye week? Yeah. Oh, man, we expect to come out come out hot, man. You know, we got the uh, New England Patriots. You know, it's going to always be a tough game versus Belichick. We know that we got to be ready. They're, they're a team that's never going to uh, give you give you wins. You got to go take it from the Patriots. And uh, just having that experience playing against Bill. Uh, but, you know, playing the Ravens, that was a, a great learning experience for us to go down there. And uh, they pretty much punched us in the mouth. And, uh you know, it was a great learning experience, both sides of the ball for Herbert and on the defense. And we expect to improve from that. But uh, even though we lost, man, that gave us a lot of confidence uh, in ourselves that knowing that, hey, we know we didn't play good this this game, but we know we can fix those issues and um, and be able to bounce back uh, versus, versus the Patriots. Hmm. Chris, you know, speaking of confidence, I'm glad you used that word. This is why yeah. watching uh, your mic'd up is so dangerous because yeah. I'm watching you and I can't play a lick of football and I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, let's do this. Let's do this. I, I'm ready to go out there. You getting me all hyped up to get my, to put myself in danger. I'm wondering yeah. what is your, what is your pregame and not just a pregame, but just like leading up to a game because I, what I saw, what I took from that was just genuine enthusiasm and love and preparation for the game. Yes. So kind of take us through how you get ready to play the game. Yeah. Well, first of all, like you said, it's the preparation, having being prepared, knowing what's, what the teams like to do. Um, I feel like that's one of my staples. That's why I've been in the league for 11 years to be able to uh, just being able to kind of know what the offense is doing, kind of uh, be able to help these guys be extra coach on the field. And also with my, my role, you know, my biggest role on the team is bringing that energy. You know, bringing that enthusiastic approach to the game. Uh, even though I'm one of the oldest on the team, I got to bring that energy. And that's something that uh, coaches always relies on me on and uh, a lot of these younger guys. And uh, I just, that's that's my role is to bring that energy, make sure everybody's ready to go, has that fire on them. Because a lot of times it's us against the world, even when we're at home, man. 
you know, it's, it's, it's still loud, you know, it still kind of feels like a away game. So we almost every game is a away game for us. You know, and you know, one of my favorite clips, though, from that uh, mic'd up was when you said, hey, I'm smart. And, and yeah. you are uh, you, you your your academic your academic background uh, speaks for itself. You're very accomplished on the field and yeah. off the field. How did you use your smarts, particularly when you weren't drafted, as Mike said? How did you use your smarts yeah. to make your to make your way in the league and stick? Yeah, uh, being able to play multiple positions. You know, coming as an undrafted, they always try to find reasons why you went undrafted. And my goal was to, I can play safety, I can play corner, I can play nickel, and I can learn all these spots and, and have very slim mental errors and still be able to play at a pretty high level. And I think that's what set me apart. That's what was able to uh, for me to make the team and also contribute on special teams. So I knew that if I could do everything, uh, play with a high level, and then, uh, you know, not have mental errors, of what these a lot of these young guys have, I knew that would give me a chance to to stick in this league, and that's been something that's kind of separated me uh, throughout my years. And uh, just being versatile, I try to be the most versatile guy on the field. And um, even even here with San Diego, or I mean with LA, I've been able to play corner, nickel, slot. So I've, they've used me all over the field, and that's why I love it here. That's so refreshing to hear you have the same struggle that the rest of us have. Even though you play there and live there, it's still it's still not natural. Let's say L.A. Chargers. So I appreciate we appreciate that. Yeah, you know, man, <laughs> that's I, I a great song. By, yeah, hey, you know, I had to go against the San Diego for so long. You know, uh, just being exactly. in this division. So exactly, you know, it's, it's still it's still hard for me. Which is why I was. Chargers, <laughs> Right, you're OG, which was why it was so much yeah. fun to watch you and Keenan Allen go at it on Hard Knocks. I think that was last year. Yeah. Um, speaking of Hard Knocks, man, I remember, you know, going back to last year, and, you know, we knew Justin Herbert was nice at Oregon. And, yeah. you know, the plan was for Terod Taylor to be the starter last year. It looked like Justin was going, you know, come along slowly yeah. or what have you. And then Terod had an unfortunate accident uh, with the doctor and what have you. And next thing you know, Justin Herbert, like the second coming of Dan Marino out this mug the last year. Yeah. Like, what kind of leap has he made from last year yeah. to this year? And also, what do you see in practice from him every day? And you've seen a lot yeah. of quarterbacks, whether it was in Denver, you know, people that you yeah. faced. What separates this kid? Yeah. Man, this kid is unbelievable, man. I know first, first day, day one. I'm like, I love Tyrod. That's my boy. You know, we came in the same year, we're the same class. But I'm like, this guy, there's no way you can keep him on the uh, bench uh, the whole season. He was, he came in that talented. He came in right away, understanding the offense, uh, throwing dimes to Keenan and Mike day one. So, you know, me, me being in the NFL this long, you know, seeing a lot of quarterbacks, you know, in Denver, we was, we, we kept searching for a quarterback in Denver, you know, while I was there after Peyton and couldn't find <laughs> it. But to be able to come over here and, you know, get Herbert day one, man, I knew this kid was special. And he had that. He has that kind of same perfectionist. Oh, I want to be the best type of mentality that Peyton had, and in preparation and things like that. So, uh, me, what I try to do is I just try to tell him things about what Peyton did, uh, things that we talked about in the game of football, and uh, you know, concepts, things that teams uh, hate, different mismatch things. So, uh, that's why I just try to share those knowledge that I can with him. But this kid wants it. He loves the game. He loves the game of football, and um, he's very likable. I, I, that's one thing that people said that he had an issue coming out of college that he wasn't likable. I'm like, everybody on the team loves Herbert. You know, he's very likable guy, uh, very uh, coachable guy. 
Um, and uh, he takes he takes onus on himself. He takes accountability on himself. And uh, that's what that's what I love about him. We are um, you know and, uh, and you as that veteran we, leader. We, we had. Uh, oh, sorry, Mike. No, I, I was just gonna say, did you ever hear okay. follow up? Michael, I was gonna ask him about the defensive backs. Okay, I was gonna say uh, we had a no, 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 Samuel. We, no, no, we've, been, we've been going through the, the Chargers defensive backs this year. We had a yeah. Samuel Jr. on feel like a few weeks ago. Now you're joining us yeah. here. Um, I know you guys have been trying to fit kind of figuring it out in the back end there, whether it's um, Michael Davis. Or, uh, or or or, uh, or Tavon Campbell, yourself, Asante, kind of shuffling at yeah. the cornerback position. Where are you guys defensively? To off- we know how explosive you guys are on offense. How is this process yeah. of gelling coming along defensively for you guys, especially yeah. in that back end? Yeah, I think it's coming along good, man. I think we got great depth at cornerbacks and safeties, guys that uh, we know if anybody gets hurt, everybody can fill in and play play a role. And play silent, and uh, that's what you gotta have. Uh, when you win a Super Bowl, I mean, I'll never forget in the AFC Championship, we was down. All our safeties were hurt. I had to go play like dime back in a little safety that I hadn't played the whole season. But uh, it, it happens like that, you know. You need everybody in this league, and uh, it's great to be on a team with guys. We have a lot of depth at corner and safety. Uh, right now, we're third in the league in the past, so we want to continue to move up, try to get in that number one spot. But we'll take the top three right now and just con- continue to try to build on that. We know that we got to be able to stop the run better and uh, continue to improve up front with that, but that's something that we see that uh, as uh, as we continue to learn this defense, we think we're going to get better. You know what, uh, Chris, over the summer, we had an opportunity to talk with Justin Tuck, and we played that clip before yeah. their, the Giants, <laughs> their second Super Bowl win over the Patriots, and he was hyping up. He's like, you don't understand. He was telling me, like, you don't understand what it's yeah. like. I've been there. Well, we keep showing that you are a Super Bowl 50 champion. If you had to yeah. tell some of these guys what it's like, whether it's the pursuit of a championship or the actual, the feeling of winning it, what would you share with them that they yeah. don't quite grasp and, until they, they stand on that platform? Yeah, just the journey. You know, everybody wants to fast forward, go straight to the Super Bowl and not put the work in. And um, I, I'll never forget that whole Super Bowl year was a fight. You know, we... We had to go a lot of games without Peyton, and then Brock had to step up. You know, with a lot of we had a lot of in- injuries, and uh, we had to fight through it that whole way. You know, we was one game away from losing to not even making the playoffs. What people don't remember during that same year, uh, 2015. So uh, it was a fight, man. It's just enjoying that journey, and that's why I try to tell these guys, man, just enjoy this journey, embrace it, because uh, you never you never uh, get to be on teams with a lot of talent like how we are right now. You know. After we won a Super Bowl, we had I had seven year drought, you know, with not a lot of talent around me. So I was excited to come here, and I just try to tell these guys take advantage of this opportunity, what we have now, uh, to be able to make a run. You've definitely taken advantage of your opportunities, man. Yeah. Again, eleven years from undrafted to All Pro to four time Pro Bowler, the Super Bowl champion, one of the best corners in the league. Um, but you've also yeah. reached back to give others opportunities. Before we let you go, man. Tell us about this Chris yeah. Cares winter handout that you got going on with yeah. your foundation. I think Thursday, right? Day after tomorrow? Yeah. 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 Thursday, we're giving out 500 kits, you know, have blankets, uh, covers, you know, hygiene kits for these uh, for the, uh, the homeless and at risk. And uh, we've been doing stuff, uh, try to do stuff all year long. You know, uh, Chris Harris Jr. Foundation, me and my wife, uh, you know, they just continue to come up different ways in which we can make an impact on 
uh, in the community on the streets of LA now, and we see that's a major impact, a major, um, it's a major struggle out there. So we're just trying to do whatever we can to provide food, hygiene, you know, uh, warm weather gear to be able to keep them uh, warm during this, uh, you know, this winter that's about to come. All right, all right, Chris, that sounds like a great thing. Before, but now, Mike lied. We thought that was the last question. Yeah. One more, since we're brother from another, <laughs> we're show. Man, we yeah. talk about, listen, we talk about everything. We talk about music. Uh, we talk about sports, politics, whatever. And we talk about yeah. our families and, and relationships. I read somewhere that you married your high school sweetheart. Man, like, get, get us yeah. up on game. Tell us how yeah. this whole thing developed and how y'all still together. Just give us give us a little yeah. insight on yeah. on how your relationship developed. Yeah, college college sweetheart, but um, you know just um, college we college met, sweetheart. Uh, yeah, yeah. I met my wife. Uh, I was eighteen. You know, I was still a little kid. You know, at, at Kansas, and uh, luckily we both Jayhawks. Uh, just meeting there, and um, once I got to the league, uh, we didn't date in college. We was actually just good friends. You know. Uh, I was I was probably still oh, wild, great. still in my cute my cute dog days, you know. So I was you know, I wasn't ready yet. <laughs> but after after you know after college, you know, uh, everything was great, man. We we just uh, kind of we got married fast, you know. Got engaged and got married in five months. After that, you know, uh, been been holding on. Got four girls and we still trying, man. I'm still trying for that boy. So we're gonna keep working. But uh, yeah. You know, it's, she she's been a great teammate, man. A great partner in crime, you know. Uh, a person that just you know where where I where I struggle at, and she lifts me up. So it's been a great relationship with that, and That's you need that partner. I think a lot of people need that partner, and uh, she's definitely been there for me, for sure. We could definitely attest to that. Hey, man. We great, got that man. in common with yeah. you. Success story. On and off the field, man. Awesome. And uh, you certainly yeah. wouldn't be where you are without the misses. So give her our best. Oh, yeah. Thank you for the time, Chris Harris Jr. Stay healthy. And uh, maybe we'll talk to you again down the road when the Chargers are still making oh, yeah, noise in the AFC playoffs and maybe beyond. Oh, yeah. Let me know, man. I'll be back, man. All right, bro. Be good. Thank All you. All right. We yes, appreciate sir. it. We'll, de- we'll definitely call you. Getting the ball was really cool. Uh, I don't normally sit in the front row, so I've never gotten the ball before. Um, and then giving it up was tough. Uh, the trainer came over and asked for it. But uh, I, what am I going to do? Say no to Tom Brady? Um, so he asked for the ball back. Um, I didn't really need the ball. It was cool. I got to hold it, take pictures with it, all that sort of stuff. And then Tom Brady wanted it, so I gave it back. Did you have to think twice about it? Did... I told him, I told the trainer no twice. <laughs> Finally, I said yes. And so how did he convince you? He just asked a couple times. He said Tom Brady really wanted it. I was able to take pictures, all that sort of stuff. Um, he said Tom Brady might come over and say hey, thank me. Uh, so hopefully I'll get to shake his hand at least. I mean, like, this is really just a... This is really just another example of why doing the right thing, even though you shouldn't get a cookie for doing the right thing, it really does pay off. Like the obvious thing was to give Tom Brady back his 600th touchdown pass ball, which Mike Evans inadvertently gave the fan who was wearing his jersey. Like, why would you be a jerk and keep the ball from the GOAT? But since you did it, you get all these pats on the back 
and more, including two signed jerseys and a helmet from Tom Brady, a signed Mike Evans jersey and his game cleats, a thousand dollar credit at the Bucks team store, and two season tickets for the remainder of this season and next. And next year. not to mention Tom Brady gave him a Bitcoin, which let me go to my Coinbase app real quick. Bitcoin yeah, yeah. ain't cheap. I mean, that's that's a pretty penny, no pun intended. Bitcoin is going for sixty one thousand yeah. nine hundred and eight dollars right now. Okay, just had an all time high, I believe, a couple of days ago. All right, so my man, uh, Mr. Kennedy. Mr. Byron Kennedy. His name is Byron Kennedy. I ain't seen that? a white dude named Byron before. Have you? You ever seen a white dude named Byron before? Oh, you haven't? I don't think so. I have not. I don't believe so. Byron. I, I can think of off the top of my head. Regardless, uh, hey, bottom hey, line what, is, he made out like gangbusters. Name? Who What's that? dude name? Uh, the Supreme Court Justice. Was it Wizard White? Is it Byron Wizard White? Oh, yeah, 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 okay. Okay, all right. So, anyway. Oh, how about Byron um, Nelson? This this guy. Anyway, but look. There you go, yeah. That's that's a, there you go, there you go. Anyway, this guy made out like Game Busters. Who's his agent? Is he, is he working, is he, is he negotiating his own deals? I mean, this is, this is this is remarkable. This is old school. This is very uh, generous. You know, David Falk in his prime. Rich Paul is like, oh yo. I like it. The thousand yeah. dollars, the thousand dollars in the team store, that would have had me. They would have had me right there. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of good stuff. I'm gonna go season tickets. I'm gonna get I'm gonna give me a throwback Doug Williams and the cream sickle. I'm straight there. I don't know how much that go for in the team store. Probably like 150, 200. I still got 800 left. I'm feeling pretty good there. Season tickets this year and next year and next. That's a great deal. Now, here's something. Here's something to point out, though, for Tom Brady. Something to keep in mind. I don't know if he remembers this. Of course he does. I, I know he remembers the game. I don't know if he remembers all the drama after. Now, you do remember... One of the greatest, not the, one of the greatest, the greatest play in Super Bowl history. The greatest. Ain't no debate. It's the greatest play in Super Bowl history. Period. What is it? The greatest play in Super Bowl history. And you shouldn't even have to think about it. I mean, is, is it is it Tyree? You take two. Is, is, is it David Tyree? No. Which one? No. Which the greatest one play it? in Super Bowl history is Malcolm Butler. Malcolm Butler. Malcolm Butler. Okay. There's an argument. Yeah, okay, Malcolm Butler. Sure. Like, no, you I mean, about to lose the game. About, it's okay, that's a very patriot. That's a very patriot centric no, take. Some would argue David Tyree catching it. a ball in his helmet. Okay, sure. That ain't win the game, though. No. Go ahead, you cook. I put you in a position to win you the go game. Go ahead and cook. They ain't winning. Okay, cool. All right. Anyway, okay. Uh, you either give the ball to Marshawn Lynch and win the game. Or you throw it, and Malcolm Butler wins it, and it takes you to a loss. You've never gone from a win to a loss more quickly in Super Bowl history. Anyway, the greatest play, Tom Brady says, "Hey, I got the MVP, Malcolm. I'm gonna give you the truck that I want." And very nice gesture, 
Turns out, here come the IRS saying, well, wait a minute. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. Uh, we want some taxes from you because that's an expensive gift and you can't give a gift like that. My yeah. point is with that Bitcoin thing. Watch out Tom. You're trying to do uh, the right thing. IRS could be like, hold uh, on. Hold on. <laughs> so uh, sometimes you do the right thing and you still gonna have to pay for it. I love it though. I love the deal that he negotiated for himself. Well, and speaking of deals, um, real quick, did you see? You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sneakerhead, but I don't want to overstate it. I got a, I got a nice Jordan collection. I got a nice Jordan collection. No, you a sneakerhead. Um, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not one of these people that's got like the hermetically, but I ain't got hermetically sealed sneakers, and I don't have like the the plastic container stacked. I got, a, I don't have a room devoted to sneakers. I got a nice Jordan collection, but I'm not, I don't have Yeezys and every Air Max, nothing like that. But yo, Mike, set a record the other day. Pictures? Game worn, game anyway, worn Michael ahead. Jordan shoes, not Jordans, but game worn Michael Jordan shoes went for one point four seven million dollars. Not Jays. More specifically, they're airships. Okay. This was pre Jordans, but airships. Yeah. Um, went for one point four seven million. Set a record for game worn shoes. The only reason I want to get to that story was to kind of flex a little bit because the previous yeah. record for game worn sneakers was a pair of Jordans and a uh, preseason exhibition in Italy in 85 Jordan shattered the backboard with a dunk. The Air Jordan ones he was wearing in that game still with a piece of glass in the sole of the left shoe sold in August ooh, of 2020 ooh, for $615,000. So again, the precursor to Jordan's, the airships, went for 1.47 million. The previous record was a mere 615,000. I don't know how much I can get for these joints, but my favorite Air Jordan ones are the aforementioned shattered backboards. These are my favorites, the shattered backboard ones right here. They keep re-releasing joints like this, so hopefully these can still fetch me a pretty penny on the resale market. But I, ba I barely wear these joints. I wore them like once or twice. And that okay. was it. So. Anyway, that was just a little little light flex, right, real listen. quick. Um, but you know, Jordan's that's a, no, that's yeah. not, that's more than a light flex. You, I, I, you didn't see the look on my face when you said, "Hey, it's not like I got a separate room for the man." Why, why are you lying to the people, man? We've seen pictures of what you got. You got some. You 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 a major sneakerhead. Like now, you're not quite. I don't, know, I don't want to disrespect actual Lamarcus Aldridge. Lamarcus Aldridge, I think, had built like a small house. Remember the story back in the day. He built a small house for his shoes. That's going too far. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if it was multi-level, but he just said it was just for the shoes. That's it. A shoe house. Yeah. You're not like that. Yeah. But I think you, I think, I think you're doing I, all right. I, I'm not like that. I think I'm not like, right. I'm not like PJ Tucker. I'm not like PJ Tucker either. Uh, but listen, with the time we got left, we only got a couple minutes left and it was so much that we yeah. wanted to cover. I think, Listen, we're still we're still old school people, uh, I, and, and you know we're we're newspaper guys. Uh, there's a fairly significant event happening yeah. starting tonight in Americana, yes, <laughs> in in sports. I love it. Um, I it's love not it. the one that I know you were rooting for. It's not the one you were rooting for, but nonetheless, still doesn't like uh, for storylines. The 117th uh, World Series uh, starts tonight, and uh, listen, man, I don't know. 
how you can't root for Dusty Baker. You may root against the Astros, but I don't know how you can't root for Dusty Baker. And um, matter of fact, let's hear from the man himself who's uh, chasing that World Series ring, Dusty Baker, manager of the Houston Astros. People are trying to make it as their main source of motivation, but that doesn't uh, motivate you nearly as much as, as, as just thriving to win and thriving, you know, for excellence. You know, you can only be driven by, you know, I'll show you, or you can only be driven by, you know, negative, uh, you know, motivation so far. I think this team is way, way past that because they know they can play. Love them or hate them. The Astros Man, are in the World I, Series for the third time in the last five years, Michael Holly. I grew up a Braves fan. Growing up in New Orleans, I was an Atlanta Braves fan back in the Terry Pendleton, Sid Bream, you know, Glavin, Smoltz, Maddox days, uh, Dion. I love the Braves. Ooh. I'm pulling for the Braves. Yes, ooh, Who you got, time. brother? You going with the Astros? You going with the Astros? Who you got? I know you, I know you, you're going to like the Astros, haven't you? I, you know, I like what Dusty said, though. I got to say, I, li- I like what he said. He makes them... Dusty Baker's presence on the Astros makes them less hateable because it's just really tough to look at Dusty and say, ah, I don't care who manage him. I'm rooting against him. You kind of root for that guy. He's been around for a long time. He got the little toothpick in the the dugout, sitting there chilling it, chilling, watching it, and he makes so much sense. Do do play with Hank Aaron. Two. He has said two of my or three of my favorite things in this postseason. One, speaking of Hank Aaron, I don't know if you saw them. I always watch this. I don't care who wins. When somebody wins a, the, a championship, whether it's the pennant like the Astros did or the World Series, NBA Finals, I watch. I watch the celebration. He said during the celebration, mm-hmm. he said, I feel like my dad's with me. I feel like Hank Aaron is with me. And I just felt their energy mm-hmm. here. I love that comment. I love the comment that we just played about not letting hatred or anger be the source of your motivation. I've talked about this before, right, Mike? When I say all these people, all, yeah, yeah. all the haters out there, yeah. all the hate, I just get so tired of that. No, no, no. Don't do it just for the haters. Do it for the people who love you too and who are, who are, uh, right. who are standing up for you. But the other thing he said, when his pitcher went eight innings, which is unheard of in, in 21st century uh, uh, really? baseball, his pitcher <laughs> went eight innings. Yeah. He said, look, the guy, why take him out? He was dealing. I just felt like I'd leave him in until he wasn't pitching well anymore. Makes so much sense in the yeah. world. Thank you, but, but just so both I managers. am. Yeah. Yeah. I'm rooting for I'm rooting for Dusty Baker. And it's gonna turn both out managers, well because I think they're gonna win. Both managers show like you can be old and still be in touch with this game. Don't have to pass you by real quick. Something to keep our eye out for. Three umpires making their World Series debut out of the seven. Their ranks 20th, 43rd, 48th, 60th, 83rd, 86th, and 91st. Might be some controversial calls in the World Series. 